the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday show. By the way, this is our last live show of the week. I want to wish you all a wonderful Thanksgiving. I have the privilege and honor tonight of giving one of the truly great Thanksgiving messages of all time. It's just because on Wednesdays we're in Isaiah, and we happen to be in Isaiah chapter 61 tonight, and it is a magnificent chapter filled with promises, giving us a lot of things to be thankful for. Again, I pray you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I pray that members of your family, if they're unsaved, get saved. Most of all, remember that Jesus is the guest of honor at your Thanksgiving celebration. And whether there's unbelievers there or not, don't ignore Jesus. He is the guest of honor. This is the word to stand on for life. This is a program, as you know by now, dedicated to answering uh, your questions. All you have to do is call us. You can dial uh, every code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email us your question by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is using the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner on the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our primary number one more time is 340-9585. I want to start off with a pretty serious question here um, today. This is from our email inbox and it is anonymous. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, I'm a Christian that suffers from severe depression. I wake up daily wishing Jesus had taken me home in the night. I have no family, and I'm extremely lonely. I know King David, Elijah, and others struggle with depression. What can I do other than take medicine to make the pain of just living stop? And she says, thank you. Anonymous, the question just really, really hit my home, in the middle of my heart. I, I um, Before we went on the air, I was just praying for you. Uh, I know this is a problem that a lot of people suffer with. Um, because I don't know you, I don't know your circumstances, uh, I don't know your age, I don't know uh, anything other than what you've told me, I'm going to have to be really general. So because of that, please, please, please uh, go to your church, um, talk to your pastor, pastors, uh, go to a medical doctor, make sure that there's nothing physical uh, that's causing this. Um, having said that, uh, let me be uh, general, and yet I hope um, a source of encouragement for you. Um, we all want to be with Jesus. We really do. I want Jesus to come now. I want him to come and take us to be with him. It is the goal of our salvation, the Apostle Peter says. And um, the thing that we have to realize is that as a Christian, 
We have to trust by faith that our fate is in his hands. Whatever is going on in your life, however lonely you are, um, he has work for you to do until you're gone. A Christian has no right to make a decision about taking a life, uh, even our own. Um, And we realize that when we find ourselves focusing on, I wish Jesus had taken me in the night, we're missing the work that God wants us to do while we are still here. Now, King David, I'm going to take a little bit of exception with with your characterizations of King David, Elijah uh, in particular. I don't think they struggle with depression. I I think their lives were so hard. Uh, King David, a lot of his problems were self-inflicted. But I think it was just the normal course of going through trials. King David ran from Saul. Saul, who, who, who should have been so grateful to God for David, was chasing him for 10 years. David had to hide out in caves. But you see, what it was, was God preparing David for the years following the caves. And so instead of focusing on King David, focus more on Joseph. Joseph, who had terrible things that happened to him. He always found favor wherever he was. Why? Because he trusted in the Lord despite his circumstances. You see, that's the way to deal with discouragement and, in your case, depression. Elijah, his episode of, of, of the great victory over the, the false prophets at, on Mount Carmel, um, and then hearing from Jezebel that she had sworn to kill him, that, that's not depression, that, that's fear. And, and Elijah ran in fear. But remember, too, that Elijah, as an Old Testament prophet, they had very difficult lives. And yet they kept walking. You can learn something from Elijah as well, Anonymous. It's this. Do you remember when he went out to hear the voice of God and he was looking for uh, God in the whirlwind. He was looking for God in the earthquake. He was looking for God in the thunder. And yet the voice of God was a still, small whisper. So from Elijah, you can learn to deal with your depression by listening for the voice of God. Open your Bible, Anonymous. Let God speak to your heart. Let Him be the source of your encouragement. I promise you, in need, you'll hear His still, small voice. So those are the answers to what you can do. The one thing I don't want you to do is take medicine to make the pain of living stop. Now again, if you need medication, I'm not an anti-med person pastor. But I just want to be sure that before you take it, you really need it. You need to be under the supervision of a doctor. Physically, you need to be under the supervision, perhaps even of a psychologist, but one who knows Jesus. And then what you need to do is find a source of joy. You know what the Bible says? I love this about our Bible because it has the answers to all of the problems that you're dealing with. The first one is... is In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Now, that doesn't mean that your sadness is going to go away. That doesn't mean that just it's a magic formula and your depression is going to stop. What it means is that being in the presence of Jesus will replace your depression with joy. Again, we can have joy even when we're going through difficult times. But in his presence... So that's the most important thing you can do is is hang out with Jesus. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The Bible says if that's the case, let his joy become your strength. Not your lack of joy, but let his joy become your strength. Finally, this one. It doesn't sound, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like you're involved with a church family and you need to be. You need to be. Serving others will replace your depression with the power of the Holy Spirit. Ministering to others rather than being ministered to by others 
will change your whole perspective, your whole outlook. So get involved with your church. Now, if, as I suspect, Anonymous, your depression is such that you really don't go to church, you're really not involved in the church, then here's what I'm going to beg you to do. Find a ride, get here some way to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Introduce yourself, and I promise you, you're going to find people that will love on you, you're going to find people that you can love on. You just can't be alone. But that's what a church family is for. A church family is to strengthen, to edify, to encourage. So it's time to fight. I know when you're depressed, you feel the least like fighting. But you need to realize that depression is one of the tools of the enemy. And even if he's not the cause of your depression, which is often the case, he will use your depression to try to destroy you. God is bigger than your depression. I promise you that. But it's time for you to fight. My last comment on this anonymous, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to quote one of the most brilliant people I know, my wife, Paula. When she gets phone calls from women who are really depressed, she'll tell them, get up out of bed, go take a shower, get clean, put some clothes on, then call me back. And then she'll walk them through something else. She'll say, okay, open your Bible. Tell me what chapter you're reading. Tell me where you are. Sometimes Paula will say, why don't you meet me for a cup of coffee? But the idea is you've got to get up. You've got you to gotta fight. You can't stay a stationary target for the enemy. So please, please, please prayerfully consider the counsel that I've given and understand that Depression is real. I'm not minimizing at all your pain. But I am promising you this, that Jesus is greater than anything you're struggling with. And I'm going to keep praying for you. Your uh, short note uh, really tore up my heart. It's Thanksgiving. I want to be able to give thanks for the victory that Christ has waiting for you. So Anonymous, I hope... That gives you some sort of encouragement and direction. 340-9585. Let's go to line one and talk with Jim calling from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, Pastor Ron, thanks for taking the calls. Um, I'm uh-huh. Thanksgiving season. I'm thankful for your program. You've really answered a lot of questions for me. And um, the last response to that anonymous, that was, that was profound. So I appreciate you taking on some really tough questions on this, this thank path. you pray for this lady when you come yeah. when she comes to mind and heart sure will um i'm mentoring uh, a young believer he's about 20 he came from a mormon background uh and uh i've just never done this before so i wonder if you give me some counsel on how to be a good mentor for uh, a young believer he just finished reading the book of Matthew. He's starting on the book of Proverbs. And he's in a small group of men, and he's in a, a church that I go to. I bring him. He's been regular in about the last two or three weeks. And so he's real humble, and he's real teachable. And I, I'm just kind of sobered by the opportunity I've got to help him. But I want to do mm-hmm. it well. Great, Jim. I'll do that. Thank you very much. And let me let me thank you for your willingness to to be available. You know, whenever people come in, in uh, the, at the beginning of their walk with the Lord, or they come to you um, with, with really, really difficult times, um, I always remember, uh, and this happens at our church all the time, I always remember that, that, that God could bring him here because he trusted us with him or with her. And I think that's important. Understand the responsibility, but also understand and enjoy the privilege. This is God saying, Jim, I know your heart, and I can trust you with somebody that I love. And because I love them, 
I'm going to give you the opportunity to show them who I am. And mentoring, uh, you know, we, we, we've got a worldly concept of mentoring, but I think biblically the, the, the concept of, of mentoring ought to be just showing them who Jesus is. Now, I would, I would rather than, than have him reading Proverbs, um, I, I think as a, a mentor in his life, I think that you, the two of you should have a book that you're reading together. And you just sit down and talk about it. Now, you know, if you've listened to this program, Jim, and you have, I know, because uh, uh, you, you've called before, but um, I, I recommend always to begin with Ephesians. And Ephesians, because it's so wonderfully designed by the Lord, the first three chapters are, are chapters that, that explain to us clearly what God has done for us, who he is and what he's done. And what a wonderful honor and privilege it is that he's saved us tonight uh, as an example in Isaiah 61. I get to talk about grace. And, and the first three chapters of Ephesians explains grace. And as you go through those three chapters together, and I wouldn't hurry through them at all, but, but just have him write down some of the thoughts that, that the Lord is bringing to his heart and mind as he reads it, some of the questions that he has. And then the two of you sit down either uh, by phone, by FaceTime, or in person, if you can do that, um, and, and answer those questions and talk about those things. And get excited together. Show him how excited you are for what God has done for you. Again, in tonight's Bible study, I get to tell people what a, what a, a life of favor that I've been privileged to live for now more than 28 years. And, um, you know, I never get tired of remembering who I was because I can better than rejoice in what God has done. When you get to the second three chapters, Jim, then one of the things that that, uh, you'll see, it gets very practical. And it's, okay, this is how we should respond. Because God did this, this is how I respond. And the last three chapters of Ephesians uh, get so practical that, boy, there is a a, a treasury there for you um, uh, of, of information to mentor this young man with. Uh, make sure that he is involved uh, in a church and is a contributor, uh, a servant. Um, make sure uh, that, that he knows you're available for him if questions arise. And uh, just rejoice. Just rejoice that God has counted you worthy to, to put this young man's hands um, in your hands so that the two of you can kind of go through this journey of following Jesus together. It is a great honor and privilege. So, Jim, I'll be praying for you, and I'd like to, to know sometime in the follow-up since how, how the two of you are doing and what kind of progress that you're showing. But uh, I think that's wonderful, and thank you for being available um, to help the, hearse, the, the those who among us who are the... the, the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. Jim, thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Let me take one more shot at, at following up what I meant when I said when people come to us. You know, we, um, we have people come to us sometimes their lives are really, really messy. And you just think, oh, I don't know if there's enough time in the day for this person. And then you, you realize that God brought them because their heart's really ready to hear. And I tell people who come and they're really hurting. I say, you know what? God has prepared you for this. If, 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 as you said, God brought you here, then this is the place that he's going to pour out his spirit and put you on a path, a solid path. Uh, we've had a bunch of people that come and they just look like everything is fine. And um, they're here for a couple of years, and they get uh, a, a terminal illness. And I look back, and I think, God, you trusted us. In some cases, as the pastor, you trusted me, Lord, to be with this person in his or her last days to prepare them for this event. Other times there are tragedies, real tragedies that are going to happen. We don't know it when we meet, but then as those tragedies happen, we can look back and say, God's had his hand on this the whole time. And you're ready, we're ready to deal with this together. So I think these people who are really hurting, and the people who, who um, even if they appear to be like really, really, really without hope, when God brings them to you, Jim, 
He does so because you're ready. Wonderful, wonderful call. Thank you, Jim. Let me go to a question from Kevin. He says, can you explain Hebrews 10.26? Does it mean someone loses their salvation? Well, Kevin, even before I read that, I can tell you, no, it doesn't mean that they will lose their salvation. Now, remember, Hebrews chapter 10 is the next to last warning in the book of Hebrews. Seven warnings. This is the sixth. And God warns us about things we need to be warned about. So here's what Hebrews 10, 26, and I'm going to read 27 as well, what what it says. Uh, Paul, I believe to be the author of Hebrews, he says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So here's the idea. Kevin, if you as a professing believer deliberately keep on sinning, you know the truth, you've been introduced to Jesus, uh, and you're going to go on sinning, what sacrifice for your sins is left? And I think what he's trying to communicate here is that the man or the woman that willfully, deliberately keeps on sinning really is a man or woman who doesn't know him at all. So you can't lose salvation if you never had it. On the other hand, The idea here is that if God alone can forgive sins, and we know Jesus Christ was God, we know he was sacrificed for sins, then the idea is that we need to turn to him because as professing believers, our sins have already been forgiven. Now, the man or the woman, and I want to make this as clear as I can, Kevin, the man or the woman that claims to be a believer but keeps on sinning. The the man who keeps drinking too much, the doing drugs, the the, the couple that keeps sleeping together and having sex. They know it's wrong. They hear it's wrong all the time. One of the things that amazes me, Kevin, is we have people in our church every week, and I mean regular attenders, people who if you ask them if they were Christians, they would say, yes, we are believers. And yet they're having sex. They're not married. And they have somehow decided that God is going to be okay with it. Well, that's not a man or a woman who's really saved. They can claim it all they want, but the Bible says, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, I quote these all the time, that if you live a life characterized by that kind of willful sin, fornication in this case, then there's no inheritance in heaven. And Paul is warning, and I think I think the context of Hebrews gets lost in what people call the scary verses. The context in Hebrews is that these Jewish converts to Christianity, these are men and women, Kevin, who have walked with the Lord, they've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, um, persecution has been a constant. I think at the time the book of Hebrews was written, uh, they have been saved anywhere from 20 to 30 years. And the persecution hasn't only stopped, it's increased in intensity. And they're tired. And they're given an opportunity to return to Judaism. If they turn to Judaism and renounce Christ, well then the persecution will stop. And you can imagine how tempting that would sound. And yet what Paul is saying is, look, what are you going to do? Are you going to go back to the Jewish sacrificial system? Clearly the temple was still in operation, so this is before 70 AD. Are you going to go back to offering bulls and rams and goats? Earlier in the book he says, those aren't acceptable sacrifices. So what he's saying is, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus Christ again, and let him put his arms around you. So it doesn't mean someone can lose their salvation. There isn't a single verse in all of Scripture, Kevin, that would indicate that we can lose our salvation if you understand it in its context and rightly divide it um, on the other hand, we got a lot of verses that talk about how secure we are in Christ. Good question. I hope that gives you a little bit of security, Kevin. 
How are you doing on time? A little over a minute and a half. Uh, here's what I can do quickly, I think. This is from Julie. She says, I've wondered for a long time about Christian women wearing bikinis or revealing swimmer at the beach or lake. If we're supposed to be modest, how can that be okay? Well, uh, Julie, modesty is different. You know, when you, when Paul and I, we vacation every year at the beach. And uh, when we go to the beach, modesty is a whole lot different in uh, on, on the beach in Southern California than it is right here. So, uh, you know, if, if Paula would cover herself up from head to toe on the beach, she would be sort of an oddity. So modesty changes. Uh, I'll give you another example. We have some women in our church who've been bodybuilders. And when they're performing on stage, people would say, well, that's not modest. They shouldn't do it. Well, on in that context, it's very modest. So uh, I would say don't worry about judging people. Just you wear what you're comfortable with and let God deal with those who are wearing other things. Thank you, Julie. We've got 30 minutes left in our week, actually, our live week anyway, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Welcome back to the last 30 minutes of our program today. Uh, I want to say one other thing about Julie's question about uh, um, modest wear and Christian women wearing bikinis or being swimmer. You know, Julie, years, many years ago, um, we had a, a woman in our church um, uh, who, who, who protested that the dresses on some of the women on our worship team were too short. Now, at that time, Paula was one of the ladies uh, on the worship team. And, um, and I, I told this lady when she complained about it, I said, you know, Paula never leaves the house without asking me on Sundays, is this okay for church? I said, so why do you say that that her dress is immodest? Well, I'm not saying it's immodest, she said, but I think dresses ought to be well below the knees. And it turns out her husband struggled with lust. Her husband was struggling with pornography. And she was extra sensitive. Now, we want to be sensitive to that. That's a woman who is hurting. By the way, men, if you're looking at pornography and your wives know that you're looking at pornography, you're causing them more internal pain than you can imagine. At the same time, we're not going to let somebody like that take away the freedom that others have. And when I told her, and she did not take the counsel well, what I told her is that she needs to stop looking out and start looking in. She needs to have the courage, if she really feels somebody's dress is inappropriate, to go to them in love and privately and talk to them about it. If the lady says, look, this is, I don't think this is immodest, then what she needs to do is just leave it alone. She, no, she wanted me to issue a mandate. I just said, I'm, just gonna do, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to be bound by legalism. And the women on the stage, if I saw something they were wearing that was immodest, believe me, I would tell them in their role as a servant. The same principle applies in your question about women wearing bikinis or revealing swimwear at the beach. Um, don't worry about it. This is about you and the Lord. And if you are free, um, your conscience is fine with wearing a bikini, uh, when thousands of other women are wearing bikinis at the beach, that's fine. If not, that's okay too. So you're free to do either thing, just whatever you do. Do it because you're free. Don't do it because you feel like you have to. And certainly don't do it wanting everybody else to do what you do. So I hope that makes sense. Here is a question. Now this comes from our Got Questions account in uh, at KSLR. So it's from our email inbox. This is from Lee. And it's just a quick question question, how to prove original sin and that Christ was sinless. Um, Lee, uh, proving original sin ought to be simple. I mean, um, we know how we began. We know uh, what the world was created. The, the Genesis account gives us the creation story. We know that everything was perfect. We know that God saw um, Adam and Eve at creation said, now things are very, very good. And then we've got in Genesis chapter 3, the, the study of, of the fall, uh, the, the, the entrance 
of sin into this world. Um, and that's original sin. Now, if you want to prove that the rest of us suffer from original sin, you know, we are inheritors, our first father, and by that I mean a generic, a, a representative of mankind, a federal head, um, uh, was Adam. We inherited his sin nature, and all you have to do to prove that is look around at the world that we live in and and, and see the sin. So uh, there's nobody who is without sin, um, we didn't have to be taught to sin. Uh, sin is in us, and that's the result of the curse. That was the inheritance of our federal head, Adam. Thankfully, the second Adam, Christ, was perfect, and we have access to inheriting that as well, simply by a proclamation of faith. Now, the second part of it, how to prove that Christ was sinless, uh, is, I think, equally easy. Uh, we have uh, an empty tomb that declares um, that that God accepted his sacrifice. Uh, If it takes a sinless man to sacrifice for the sins of other men, um, then that man was Jesus. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We have the Father's testimony. Um, but, but, But the greatest testimony of all is that Jesus, when he was killed, he didn't stay dead. And that proves that he is who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do. You want further proof? We remember additionally that because of his sinless sacrifice made on our behalf, the Holy Spirit made his grand entrance into this world. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, why? Because we who believe in him have been made holy by that same blood. And he had to be a perfect lamb. That was the picture of the Passover. The lamb had to be without spot or blemish. Well, the real Passover lamb, when he came, was without spot or blemish. And he who knew no sin, 1 Corinthians 6 says, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5, said that, that um, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So, Lee, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to a phone call. We've got Jeff calling on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. A great big Thanksgiving Jesus bear hug to you, Pastor Ron. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I, I, I imagine Paula's at home cooking up a storm right now. She's trying to figure out how to fit 21 people in our little house. So that's what she's doing right now. A personal question, and then I have a comment for you to comment on. Um, what's your favorite Thanksgiving Paula recipe? <laughs> uh, that's easy. Paula makes, now she's going to be embarrassed by this, but she makes the best turkey and dressing in the whole world. You know, we have a, a big Christmas dinner. Uh, church-wide, so all three services can get together. Uh, we rent the, the church community center, and um, it's a big, big place, and it's getting too small for us. Um, but but with all the food that's going to be there, I make Paula take turkey and dressing that she's cooked, and that's what I bring in with me when we come, and, and we share it with other people. But I only eat her stuff. And I love it. It's the best. And uh, so I know uh, tomorrow that's uh, that's going to be the first helping. The dressing that she makes is just out of this world. I like it all, and she makes stuff that she knows I like. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, Jeff. That's awesome. Pastor, um, I had a chance to, to listen to this week. Um, I don't know why it took me so long, but it's really great that it really fell right before Thanksgiving. It was really germane for me. But the men's retreat sessions with uh, Pastor Rick Brown, and mm-hmm. I, wow. And, and I, I just, I, I remember that week because you, you commented also, you know, that was that was the same week of your anniversary. And so you had that special anniversary show, and then you and Paula were on the next day, and it was just really a great when she brought out her journals and everything, and what a tender moment that was um, to share with us. But one of the things that that Pastor Brown commented on, and I want, want wanted you to elaborate on a little bit too, 
was when he talked about how junk grows in the darkness. Hmm. And we're, he was talking about James 5.16, that we're to confess our sins to one another, our faults to one another, pray for each other. And, and my what I'd like you to talk about a little bit is how do we as a church or uh, create safe places for each other? Because so many small groups and, and, and churches have been injured and even destroyed by gossip. And I know that's a continual challenge for all Christians. And what are your, what's your heart on, on that, on creating safe places for believers to, 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 to confess and, and to, to share with? And I'll take your, take your comments uh, on the radio and have a great dinner tomorrow. Thank you, Jeff. May you and yours have a great Thanksgiving as well. We have a lot to be thankful for, for sure. Uh, I could spend a, a long time. Uh, Pastor Rick is a, is a dear friend. Uh, I've been to his church several times, and he's been uh, to ours. I think this was his second or third time. Um, and and one of the things that we who have been pastors for any length of time um, learn, and, and we see the damage from is people trying to hide their sin. You know, I can logically talk to somebody and say, you can't hide your sin from God and yet we still feel like we're getting away from, uh, getting away with it as long as we've got people fooled. Well, I think the point of, 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 of the, the filth growing in the darkness is that when we think that we're hiding our sin, then that sin is just getting more and more entrenched in our hearts. And the, the result of it is our hearts become so hard that we actually then believe that we're fooling everybody, including God. So, Jeff, when you talk about confessing your sins one to another, this isn't um, a church-wide confession program. I would never advocate that people stand up in front of the church and and blurt all of their sins out. Um, There's all kinds of different levels of people and sanctification in the body, and there's going to be people who take the things that you say and and gossip about them. That's certainly not from the Lord. So I think what, what we really ought to do is all of us need somebody in our lives who we can trust to hold our confidence, somebody that we know is strong, somebody that we know is mature, somebody that if we mess up, we can go to and say, I need you to pray for me. I've sinned. I need your counsel. I need direction. But mostly I just need your prayers. And by exposing your sin... You're being held accountable by by somebody else, but it's somebody that you know, somebody you have a relationship with, and somebody that you've uh, learned that you can trust. Now, one of the problems with that is I can uh, just hear a lot of people now in the audience saying, well, yeah, but I've been betrayed by people I trust before. Well, don't blame Jesus for that. The idea is if you walk in the light, there's no need to look for shadows. If you walk in the light... You're not trying to cover up anything. You know, one of the things, Jeff, that I did when I first got here all those years ago, from the very beginning of our ministry, I was very transparent about my life before Christ. I didn't want anybody ever finding out something about me from some other source that they hadn't heard from me first. So I made no pretense if, if 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 it fit in a Bible study, if it was applicable, um, I shared what I was guilty of. I shared the struggles that I went through. I shared the, the depth and gravity of my sins. Now, I didn't glorify the sin, but I wanted people to know that the pastor that you're looking at now is a man who struggled with all of those things and only found victory in the person of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget, Jeff, there was a day when a woman, after our second service, a woman kind of slowly made her way up the aisle. And I could tell that she was staring kind of funny and she was walking slowly and she got close. I could see her hands go over her mouth and she said, it's true. And I said, what's true? And she goes, God can make a preacher out of a car salesman. This was a woman who worked for me back in the 80s in Phoenix, Arizona. She knew the old unsaved Ron. And for her to stumble into this church and see that guy 
proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I never wanted my history to cause anybody to stumble. That's why I was very upfront with it. And I think we all have people in our lives that we can go to, people that we can trust, and we can say, look, I'm having a struggle in this area. I've sinned. Would you pray for me? And you bring it to the light. The next time you see that man or that woman, he or she would say to you, so how are you doing? I've been praying for you. And as long as your interest is walking in the light, that'll be a source of great comfort. So, um, again, uh, I don't think we should just blurt our sin out. I think what God has forgiven and forgotten, what God has cast into the deepest, darkest ocean, we should leave there. But when we are actively engaged in sin, or when we're overcome by temptation, that's when we need to realize that we need help and we need it now. The longer we keep it covered, the more entrenched it will become in our hearts. And Jeff, it will ruin lives. So I was really grateful to Rick when he said those things. And um, I'd like to have him back someday. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Albert. Uh, He says, do you think certain men are more gifted than regular people? And that is why God calls them as pastors or preachers. Um, Albert, not more gifted, but just gifted differently. Now, here's the one thing that we have to, to understand at the very beginning. In the church, everyone has an equal part. We all have different roles, but we have an equal part. God certainly didn't call me uh, because I'm more spiritual or because I'm smarter. God called me because I'm a foolish thing, and foolish things confuse people who think they're wise. That's why God called me. So my role is simply to do what God has called me to do, and I have just one part and I do my part. My part when I come to church tonight is going to be to sit with the congregation during worship. We're going to have a really small crowd tonight. We always do on, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It's always sad because it's such a great message. But but my part is I'm going to worship with the, the congregation. And then when that last song is nearly over, I'm going to make my way up to the stage. And then I'm going to do what I've been called to do. That's to open the Bible and teach it, verse by verse. But that's just one part. So as I do my part, God has equipped others to do their part. And every part has equal relevance. Every part has equal value. Some are more visible parts than others. I have a visible role. But my role isn't any more important, nor is it any more essential than any other role. The idea, Albert, that um, some men are anointed by God and you can't approach them or touch them or question them, that's from the pit of hell. That's from the pit of hell. You need the anointing of God to, to work, whether it's in the cleaning ministry or to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and, and the, this image that some Preachers like to give that they are somehow more gifted by God, don't touch God's anointed kind of thing, is pure evil at heart. So, again, our church, I have one role, just one. I do it, then God does, by using other people and their giftedness, uh, God does the rest of the work. And for me to take credit for it or to, to think that I'm something special um, is to miss the whole point. And I think sometimes we, we lack humility, Albert. Good question. Ray says, Pastor Ron, is it possible for a Christian to never sin? Uh, Ray, the answer is no. The idea of sinless perfection, while 
There are some really wacky proponents of sinless perfection. They are wrong. That's heresy. We all sin. And in the Greek, in Romans chapter 3, it's in the continuous present tense. We all sin continually and are continually falling short of the grace or the glory of God continually. So the idea is that as long as we are struggling in these flesh and blood bodies, Ray, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to sin. We don't have to sin, but because we're humans, we're going to sin. And the Bible says, and this is the great part, when we sin, we have an advocate. Paul tells Timothy, we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And all we have to do uh, is go to our advocate. Remember, he's the one who pleads our case, ever living to make intercession for us. We go to him, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. Two different things. Forgiven, it's gone. Sanctification. And then we can walk in righteousness again. So while we don't have to sin, Ray, we're going to sin. I don't think anybody has gone a whole day without sinning. That's just the nature of our flesh. It's ugly. But what we need to do is trust in the power of forgiveness. Let me say one other thing, Ray. You didn't ask this part of the question, but maybe this is the Holy Spirit leading a little bit. When God has forgiven you of something, if you confess your sin, God, I'm so sorry I did it. And you can't go to God and say, well, look, I I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it, and I'm probably going to do it again. You can't do that. But if you confessed your sin, you are forgiven. So lighten up on yourself. Don't do guilt. Don't let the devil condemn you. Romans 8, 1 says, There is there, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet so many of us, we live in condemnation. I learned early to receive the gift of forgiveness that God has given me and rejoice because of it. They ready to tell me twice. When I say, God, I'm sorry, I forget, it's done. I've had some people say, well, you don't feel bad about your sins. Of course I do. I sinned against God. But if I beat myself up, well, then I'm going to give the enemy an opportunity to start pounding me, and I'm going to end up messing up again. So hope that helps, Ray. Let's go to our what will probably be our last call of the day from Castle Hills. Rick on line one. Rick, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Ron. I hope you're having a great day. I am, Rick. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. I just wanted to call in and remind you that a lot of us are being thankful for a lot of things, and one of them is you. You're such a big mm-hmm. inspiration for us over here. And I wanted to thank oh, you. Also, God bless you. You're a man after my own heart every day, but when you mentioned dressing, I knew we were closer. <laughs> <laughs> I have got to have some of Paula's dressing, so I may not make it tomorrow, but she's going to have to make a batch for me. <laughs> I'm telling you, she can market it, that's for sure. That's how good it is. Oh, it's my favorite thing in the world, and now that I'm a bachelor and all my grandmothers and mothers are gone, that's all I want all year is dressing. So we got <laughs> stuff to talk about besides the Bible, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> a man after my own heart, Rick. Oh, yes, sir. Well, God bless you, my friend, and I'm thankful for everything you're doing. I can't wait to finally get to meet you soon. Have a good one. Thanks, Rick. Look look forward to it, Rick. God bless you. You know, I I don't know that people really understand what a a gift of encouragement, um, what a source of encouragement um, it is to know that people are praying for us and and that somebody would call and say they're thankful to God for, for me or for what we do. When I feel like when I'm privileged by God to do is is just the greatest gift ever. Um, that's just sort of like the cherry on top of the dessert. So Rick, God bless you. Thank you very, very much. And, and well, I'm sure with 21 people coming to our house tomorrow, there won't be leftover dressing. I'll have an extra helping for you, Rick, tomorrow uh, at the house. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate the call. Let me see if I got one quick call. We're under two minutes left. Uh, here's what I can do. 
David says, Pastor Ron, how should I seek forgiveness when I have sinned? Well, David, I think the way you should seek forgiveness is to stop doing what you're doing. You see, that's what repentance is. you got to stop doing it. You're not really seeking forgiveness if you keep on doing it over and over and over again. Uh, you see, when you sin, it needs to hurt. It needs to break your heart. Not not condemn, but it needs needs to, to hurt. It's like, God, I cheated on you again. So when you seek forgiveness, you said, how should I seek forgiveness? It's just ask, but then demonstrate that you're Seeking is genuine by by stopping sinning. Just stop doing it. And you'll see how pleased God is. You'll see how eager to forgive he is. And the, the, the more eager to forgive he is, the more grateful we ought to be for it. So David, I hope that helps. Uh, let me close out. We're inside a minute. The music's going to start pretty quick. But let me say this. Uh, Thanksgiving is a... Is a um, a holiday we ought to celebrate every day. I know tomorrow's a day when there's going to be food, there's going to be family and friends, but focus on the things that you have to be grateful to God for. He's a good God. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back live on Monday on AM6 Day the Word. We'll have rebroadcasts until then. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.